Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Jen Wilkin on the topic of knowing the will of God. This is one of the most requested topics that we've received to date. Let me just kick it off by sharing a quote from Jen on the topic of seeking God's will. She said, The decision point seems like the big moment for us, but in reality, God is always more concerned with the decision maker than he is with any given decision. And so I would argue that the better question to ask regarding God's will is not what should I do, but who should I be? Now, if for some reason you aren't familiar with Jen Wilkin, she's a speaker, writer, and teacher of women's Bible studies. During her 17 years of teaching, she's organized and led studies for women in home, church, and parachurch contexts. Jen and her family are members of the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, and her latest book, which we're going to discuss today, is called In His Image, 10 Ways God Calls Us to Reflect His Character. Now, on to my conversation with Jen Wilkin on the topic of knowing the will of God. Jen, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, you're one of the guests that I wrote down as a dream guest, never thinking that I would actually get to talk to you. So uh, forgive me if I fangirl. (laughs) We need to get you a better list of people to fangirl over. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you are a writer. You're a teacher. You're on staff at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. And you're the host of a very helpful podcast called Knowing Faith. You've personally authored three of my favorite books that I recommend really frequently to our listeners. And I highly doubt that they aren't familiar with you at this point. But just in case, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I work on staff at the Village as the director of classes and curriculum. So I, I am a curriculum writer and also a teacher. Those are the two things that I love to do. And specifically, I like to create resources around building Bible literacy because that's the big need that I see across the board in churches is that people right. just don't have firsthand knowledge of the text. I'm also a mom. I have four kiddos. They're, uh, the last one just mutinously left in August. He went off to school. So um, we is he an Aggie as well? He is. Nice. He is. Yeah, we're 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 heavy into repetition around here. So he he's I down there it. with two of his siblings, and then his oldest brother just graduated from there in May, and is now actually in the Pittsburgh area doing some graduate work. Cool. So a bunch of Aggies, and then Jeff is my husband. We've been married for twenty five years this past summer, and he is my ace in the hole in terms of um, parenting. He's just a great guy, and he's one of my favorite people. Well, he's may be right up there as my favorite person. That is so wonderful. Well, I know you also have two favorite fur babies, right? Well, yes, we do have two. Yeah, Peggy and Tess. And Tess doesn't <laughs> make it on Instagram quite as often as Peggy because she's a little long in the tooth and she's just not always photo ready anymore. But, <laughs> uh, but man, Peggy is a hoot. And I'm already trying to negotiate with Jeff uh, about getting another uh, pug when, when Tess crosses the Rainbow Bridge. Oh, so. <laughs> we have two friends here that were walking their pugs the other day. One of their names is like Nolan or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And they go, you know, they're pretty much a joke. And I'm like, I think everybody that owns a pug feels that way. Yes, I mean, they're like a constant source of humor. Who does not want that in their life? They definitely make me laugh. And uh, my husband, actually, he was an Aggie and he is from the Coppell area. So we've been to your church 
many times on the weekends when we're visiting family and stuff like that in the Dallas area. So yeah, we're, we're really grateful for your work there. And I'm just grateful for your work um, that you've shared with those of us that aren't close to you in proximity, particularly women of the word. I feel like that was such a helpful encapsulation for me um, and being able to share my passion for inductive Bible study with other women in a way that really relates to them. So thank you so much. And I just finished your book, In His Image, which was another incredibly helpful book. Man, I'm just raving about your books over here. Let me just keep going. Um, <laughs> we had Amy Gannett, who created the Tiny Theologian Cards on a couple weeks ago, and we talked about why women need theology. And she actually recommended your book, None Like Him, which is the precursor to In His Image. And she said she thought it was one of the most helpful introductions to systematic theology that she could think of. So here we are. We'll link to all of them in the show notes. (laughs) Um, But I'd love to discuss with you the topic of your book, In His Image, today. Actually, it's been one of the most requested topics, as you can imagine, that we would cover on the Journey Women podcast. You may not know it from the title, but you're really talking about the topic of what is God's will for our lives, So for the believer who wants to know God's will for her life, Jen, what is the best question that she can be asking? So I think the typical question that we ask is, what should I do? We come to God and saying, you know, hey, I'm facing a decision point and should I do X or should I do Y? Or maybe there's three options or maybe there's five options. And I would say that Christian subculture has taught us that this is the primary question to ask yes. with regard to God's will. Whether you turn to the right or to the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that really began to crystallize this for me was, you know, we came to the village 11 years ago, and mm-hmm. I was 38 at the time, and I was by far far the oldest person here. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and so it was all of these young people, right, who are trying to figure out who do I marry, what job right. do I do? Right at that stage of life where um, where you think uh, the Lord has like this specific path laid out for me and I just, it, I just have to figure out what it is. And it really began to bother me how mm-hmm. we in a sense, we're viewing God as someone who was saying to us, oh, I have a specific will for you, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to make you scramble around trying to look for signs and whatever to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And if you miss it, you know, then all bets are off and, you know, terrible things will come your way. Mm. And I think that the better question that we need to learn to ask stems from recognizing that God, who is the God of all outcomes, is able to work with any decision that we make. And that's what, if we look back on our lives, we we typically see him doing, right? And and the decision point point seems like the big moment for us. But in reality, God is always more concerned with the decision maker Mm -hmm. than he is with any given decision. And so I would argue that the better question to ask regarding God's will is not what should I do, but who should I be? Mm, man, I really wish I would have had this book back in college, Jen, because I was so <laughs> ridden with fear that I was going to, quote unquote, step outside or out from That's underneath yeah. the umbrella of God's will for my life. <laughs> that is a freaky thought. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, what we've missed on that is that it doesn't really do us any good to make the right decision if we're still the wrong person on the other side of it, you know, so. I married the right person by all uh, objective measures. I married the I made the right choice. But if I marry Jeff and I continue to be selfish and self-serving and self-elevating, 
then I could have married a terrible person and still have a marriage that, you know, that my marriage is not going to be successful over the long term. Yeah, for sure. And so the questions that we ask having to do with outcomes, really, I would say, miss the point. Now, outcomes matter and good decision making regarding decision points does matter. But when it is an overflow of becoming the right person, and I'll, you know, I can qualify what that means then it becomes the, I, I would say, the natural process of, of living out God's will, that, that what we do mm-hmm. is a product of who we are. Yes. And then who we are needs to be rightly related to who God is. Are you saying, tell me if I'm wrong, please correct me, that who we are and who we are becoming, our sanctification, if you will, is more important than like actually the decision that we're making that we become so obsessed with? Right. I mean, those decisions, our ability to make those decisions will be shaped by whatever internal mechanism we're developing. So like one of the one of the illustrations I use for this is to talk about. So uh, my oldest son, Matt, for example, he's he's 22. And imagine if he came into the kitchen when he's home at Christmas and says to me, Mom, what should I have for breakfast? Should I have oatmeal or should I have eggs? Mom, what should I wear today? Should I wear a sweater or should I wear a swimsuit? Right. Mom, well, you know, and, and, and that would be uh, alarming to me. Right. It, it would also mean that I was a rotten parent because it would feel that what I had done for his whole life was just simply point him to the next thing that he should do instead of training him to be someone who has an internal mechanism, which we would call in biblical terms, wisdom. Yes. Yeah. He the facts he has and is able to make a good decision on his own. So again, there you see, my concern as a parent is not to tell him what to do. It's to help him become who he needs to be, Mm -hmm. to to be a mature human being. And so then you translate into spiritual terms, that analogy, understanding that our Heavenly Father is a perfect parent. And what does he want for us? Does he want to just simply tell us the next thing to do? Because honestly, if God has told you the next thing to do, guess what you don't need? You don't need faith. Mm-hmm. who is placing your faith in the evidence of things unseen. You know, yes. you're, you're actually saying, just show me what's next. Yeah, for sure. So how does it come about in our lives that we become who he wants us to be? Well, that is the purpose of every moment of your life from the point that you are justified. So you pray the prayer, whatever, you know, whatever your 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 beginning point is for your salvation. Uh, that is the purpose of the rest of the days that you breathe in and out on this planet uh, is to be holy as he is holy. That's the way that the Bible says. And this idea of holiness and, and increasingly growing in holiness is at its root being conformed to the image of Christ. But more than that, it is realizing that what Christ uh, in the incarnation embodies is what humanity would have been Mm. had the garden never played out the way that it did. So conformed to the image of Christ is actually becoming who we were intended to be all along. Yes, Lord, work that in us. (laughs) So what are some examples of things, you know, he has this will for us to become like Christ, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. What are some examples of things that scripture tells us or explains as to how that actually comes about? Like, what are some things that are God's will for our lives? Well, this is the beautiful thing about reframing God's will in these terms is that all of a sudden you're not flipping around to verses asking if they're telling you to marry Jim or Paul. Yeah, yeah. Realize that the Bible is on just about every page calling to you about what it looks like to live a holy life. 
you know, the Ten Commandments are telling you what it looks like to live a holy life. Sermon on the Mount is telling you what it looks like to live a holy life. The Epistle of James is very concerned that we understand what it looks like to live a holy life as relates to the way we use our words and the way that we spend our money and the way that we use our time. And so then holiness begins to take shape. And and in fact, in Philippians, it, it flat out says, this is the will of God for your life, even your sanctification, that you be increasingly delighting in doing the things that please the Lord because you look like Christ when you do them. Yeah. And that delight piece matters, right? Because it's the motive piece is what changes a conversation of growing in holiness from being one about trying to earn God's faith mm-hmm. versus wanting to please God because you, you already have his favor. Yes, that's such a distinction point. And I look back on so much of my life that I've spent trying to earn God's favor through obedience. And I'm like, oh, girl, it's just like missing the mark, just a hair. Well, and even that whole, you know, oh, I've got to make the right decision. Isn't that just another form of legalism? Yeah, totally. 100%. And I, I just think it's so sad, Jen, that I hear that all the time. You know, like in Christian circles, it's just this consistent, you should be spending so much of your time, energy, and effort pouring yourself over this decision and prayerfully considering whatever the specific decision is. And what I think I'm hearing from you is like, we should be spending our time, energy, and effort in knowing God, in knowing Jesus Christ, whom he sent, in loving him, in worshiping him. And then as a natural overflow of that experience of relationship with him, you know, the decision will play out like within the context. Yeah, how it plays out within the context of his will. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely it. And I think, you know, part of it is that decision points. So like we're studying First Samuel right now in the study mm-hmm. we're doing in the village. And the Israelites request a king. And it's a, it's a reasonable request on the surface. Like rationally, it might make sense. But because it's, it's divorced from uh, wanting relationship with God, who has already said that he's their king. So I would imagine that in asking that, they ticked all the boxes, right? Like what we're asking for is reasonable. We can even sell it to you in a way that makes it look like it's the best option here. And not only that, but we feel a high level of peace around it. (laughs) And then what does God do? He gives them exactly what they're asking for. So if the Israelites had kept a prayer journal, they would have checked that one off as an answered prayer. And yet God is going to use that answered prayer as a way to teach them some very hard lessons. Right. Now, If the Israelites had stuck with where they were in chapter seven of just crying out to the Lord and being helpless before him and asking that he meet their needs on his terms rather than on their terms, then they would have had a prayer journal they could look back on and say, asking God for humility, asking God for a repentant heart is a prayer request. I'll never look back on 10 years from now and Mm. say, I ask for that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you're mentioning some of them, like humility. You've mentioned wisdom as we're talking. What else does the Bible say that we should be, and how can we actually become that? So we think about what Christ lived out, right? Um, We can be loving as God is loving, and how do we see that? Well, we can look to the life of Christ and see what it meant to be loving as God is loving. We can be—this is my least favorite to talk about because I'm not awesome at it—but we can be patient. Yes, that one's convicting for me, not going to lie. I don't want to write this chapter. I feel like (laughs) someone needs to write this chapter for me, you know? Uh, 
so we can be, and we don't, we don't think about, you know, here we are also in this, in this instant gratification culture that thinks patience is something that is to be um, pushed into the smallest categories possible. Yeah. And yet, by definition, the Christian faith is a faith of delayed gratification. We await hope that is kept for us in yes. heaven. And so to be patient as he is patient means that we are long-suffering with others uh, as he has been long-suffering with us and continues to be. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's asking, what attribute of God do I see in Christ that is also compelling to me to take on. So, uh, you know, I would not want to become omnipresent. That would be idolatry. Mm -hmm. But to want to be uh, patient or to want to be just merciful, just, these are all things that are true about God, that are demonstrated in Christ, and that are uh, accessible to me as someone who is increasingly being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. So you mentioned the omnipresent piece, and that's really the attributes of God that are distinctive of like God alone. That's really what you go through in your book, None Like Him, correct? Right. right. Mm-hmm. And then this book is more of like a fleshing out of, okay, what are the attributes of God that like we can seek to emulate? Is that yeah, right? That's right. What's the distinction between bearing God's image and actually becoming like God? Yeah. So you got to go back to Genesis 3 and think about what's going on there when the serpent tempts Eve. Um, what does he say? He says, you will, if when you, in the day that you eat of it, God knows that you will become like him being able to discern good from evil. And what, what's the serpent dangling out there? He is not dangling out. She's already like him in the way that she should be like him. She is image bearer, meaning that there are things about how she's going to function in the world and about what she's created to do that that image God in a limited human form. So we're limited by design. Mm-hmm. God puts us in bodies that limit us to one location. He um, gives us a limited amount of strength, so we require rest and so on. And it's those limits that are not, they're not a result of the fall. They were given to us. You know, we get every so often. Those are all limits that are God-ordained for us and therefore are good. So anytime we aspire to something that's true about God that is denying or diminishing those limits, then we are practicing idolatry. We're doing what what the serpent was handing out to Eve. He's saying, you will be like him, but being like him in a way that we're not designed to be like him. So what's reaches for that fruit, she is essentially reaching for limitlessness. That is the way that is unlike us, right? So then, but then, and also here's the funny part, right? Like no one wakes up in the morning plotting how to have limitless love for their neighbor. No. But a lot of people wake up <laughs> in the morning trying to figure out how to have limitless control over their circumstances. For sure. You know, so if we're honest with ourselves, we gravitate toward looking at the things that only God is supposed to be characterized by. So he's yes. everywhere fully present. Well, if you're a mother of small children, you're like, I kind of need that. I need to be present location <laughs> or someone's going to die. Right. So, you know, or he's sovereign. Well, I want to be the sovereign creator of this universe that is family. Mm. And, and I want all of the little people who were born in my image to give glory to me through the activities they're involved in, through the way they behave in public. Yes. So we we do want to be little gods of our own universes. Yes. Uh, And so we're focusing on the list of things that are true about God, ways to be like him that are not for us. That is that fruit hanging on the tree. Yeah. And yet 
what is there for us is as image bearers is all of these ways that we are charged to carry the image of God as seen in Christ into a world that has lost sight of it. Mm, This is so relevant to a conversation that I had with Hannah Anderson on the topic of humility, because she talked about how pride, yeah, she talked about how pride is, it's like functioning in self-reliance and it's not acknowledging the good limits that God has sovereignly placed on our lives. Mm-hmm. When you're describing what happened, like that scenario in the garden, I'm like, oh my goodness, I see that so much in myself when I'm trying to be like God in my everyday life. And I just want to repent of that and instead walk in acceptance of the good limitations that he has sovereignly placed over me for my good and for his glory. And I don't know why that's so stinking hard for me, Jen. Why is that? (laughs) Well, I think it's a personal problem because it's super easy for me. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what does it look like for us to strive to embody the characteristics that you mentioned? Man, I love some of these, like God most loving, God most patient, God most merciful, God most just all of these attributes of God that we can seek to emulate while also walking in humility and realizing that we actually aren't God. Right. Well, I I think it's important to acknowledge that while your justification costs you nothing, your sanctification will cost you everything. Yes. will be the laying aside of self at every turn. And, and I think that's a, actually, I would say that that is an idea that has fallen uh, out of favor or out of discussion, particularly among some of the circles that I'm in, the reform circles, where we have so desired to recapture our understanding mm-hmm. of grace and justification right. that now any call to actually live a life of obedience, which can we be honest, is going to require a great deal of effort. Yes, discipline. Yeah, is termed legalism instead of instead of what you just said, discipline. Yeah. And yet, disciples of Christ, that word disciple is uh, not coincidentally a very similar word to the word discipline. Mm. And you begin to realize how often we hear in the scriptures uh, these analogies of running the race of um, striving, of subduing our desires of, um, and, and there's even, you know, and grace plays a role in this, right? Because mm-hmm. apart from the grace of our justification and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no change possible. But I think what this idea of being conformed to the image of Christ carries the good news of the gospel from our justification into our sanctification. So mm-hmm. Titus 2 tells us that grace actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness and turns us into a people zealous for good works. Mm -hmm. The people of God should be characterized by a zeal for doing what pleases the Lord. But it's not magical in the sense that, you know, just because I have the Holy Spirit in me doesn't mean that it will be easy. Right. We're not earning anything, but we are definitely expending effort to be conformed to the image of Christ. How do you protect yourself against like becoming legalistic in the way in which you're thinking about your sanctification as you're striving, like grace-driven effort, as you mentioned, while also recognizing that this is like really hard and that this is going to require a lot of sacrifice on your part? Yeah, I think you have to do your best to maintain a disposition of humility before the Lord uh, through confession and repentance, through accountability, you know, all of the systems that the the church should be putting in place. Yes. 
place for us. And I don't mean like the local church. I'm saying the body of believers should be offering this to, I mean, hopefully it's the local church, but right. that, that the body of believers should be supporting one another, spurring one another on in these things as, as the Bible says. And so there's definitely that, but I think there are some canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, that we can look to, to ask whether we have begun to regard the hard work of sanctification as a means of earning. And one of the biggest ones is when something goes wrong in my life, Mm -hmm. is my first response, Lord, why is this happening to me? Mm. I have done this and that, and I have done that. And, And then and uh, listen, I want to be very clear to say that is actually usually the first response that we have. But it, I think it's how quickly you recover from that can be an indicator of where your thinking tends to go with regard to wanting to be holy as he is holy. Yeah. But I think also we need to remember that this idea of bearing the image of God doesn't terminate on us. In a post-Genesis 3 world, Bearing the image of God means that we're probably the only place that the pagan is going to encounter. They're not going to pick up a Bible, you know, I mean, unless there's a supernatural draw the spirit, you know, that do that. But more likely than not, it will be because we look alien and strange that they to ask a different set of questions of themselves and of the world than they were asking before. Mm-hmm. So bearing doesn't on me being uh, just uh, feeling good that I now look more like Christ. It is, it, I believe that image bearing is what's encapsulated in the Great Commission. So how does the gospel actually re-image us and make us look like Christ, as you mentioned, for a lost and dying world to see? Yeah. Uh, well, so assuming that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, there are implications for that. It means that we grow in our hatred of sin and we grow in our love for the God of the Bible. And just think about, you know, maybe a good way to think about this. I think I use this example in Women of the Word, but we become what we behold, right? We, yes. we, we find typically another human who we admire and we want to emulate. And so, like you know, when I was in seventh grade, I wanted to just be this other girl because I didn't love myself. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of self-love in seventh grade. And so I tried to dress like her and talk like her and, and do the same hobbies that she had. I mean, I just, I wanted to become like her. And that, mm-hmm. that's human unhealthy, you know, uh, version of, of actually should be the way that we mm. relationship with the Lord. He is so compellingly beautiful to us that we can't imagine wanting to take on any other image. Mm. That's such an encouragement. Yeah. And, and having the Holy Spirit in us who reveals truth from God's written word, the Bible, you know, then, then I can sit under this and not feel condemnation, but feel eagerness to do what the Great Commission is telling me I need to then take and do for others is to obey all that he commands. So the uh-huh. Great Commission is where to go and make disciples. So what does that mean? Make more image bearers, right? Teaching them to uh-huh. obey commanded. Yes. Somebody posted something that you said on Instagram the other day. It was like, you know, the world doesn't really need very many more people saying like, I don't know, don't even worry, like you're the best. Instead, we need people saying, like, sister, behold our king. Is that right? Can you requote me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I wrote a piece for Desiring God a few years back. And, and actually, I think it was some of it was content from the end of None Like Him. But okay. we believe that what we need is greater assurance of our intrinsic self-worth. Right. 
And we do. That's such a like millennial thing, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I don't mean to take that off the table. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that that is not going to stick to our ribs the way that it should unless it is rooted in who God is first. Mm -hmm. So John Calvin, opening lines of the Institute, expressed this idea that the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self go hand in hand. There is no true knowledge of self apart from the knowledge Mm -hmm. of God right? And so that's why when we spend all of our time talking about who we are in Christ, but we never talk about Christ, yeah, then we just have to keep saying it over and over and over again. And it's so fascinating to me to watch the trends as they hit like uh, contemporary Christian music. If oh, you listen yeah. to the lyrics of most of the songs that are most popular with just the general public right now, the I am statements in those songs are not about the I am. They're, I am loved, I am this, I am that. I don't mean to diminish the fact that it is a beautiful truth that we are those things. It's an emphasis problem, right? And when we never devote time, and I'm speaking hyperbolically at this point, but when we when we devote very little or no time to, to just worshiping who God is and spend the majority of our time talking about who we are, then then we never develop the transcendent understanding of God, which I believe we, we just desperately need in the church. Absolutely. For somebody who's listening and they're like, holy smokes, I've gotten this wrong. Like, this is this is the way I've been living out Christianity. Like, what would you suggest to them? What encouragement do you have? So there are two ways that God shows us that he's much bigger than we thought. And one of those is available to lost people and saved people. And that's just nature. Like the Mm -hmm. way I talk about this is I say, no one stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and says, I am awesome. (laughs) No. No one is making grandiose I am statements about themselves looking at that. And and why is that? It's because when you see that, you know, this is bigger than I am. It's not about me, it reorients you. And for the believer who understands that God made these things, we are rightly oriented to the God of the universe. So that's broad brushstroke understanding of that God is transcendent. And it matters. It's important for the believer, even, uh, you know, even having uh, other means of understanding these things. But the fine tipped pen drawing mm-hmm. of and God is available to us. It's on our phones. It's on our computers. It's uh, between the covers of the the copy of the Bible that we got ten years ago before we had digital versions of it. Yeah. In in the scriptures, you know, we don't have to guess at who God is. Mm-hmm. But I say that many of us have developed a habit of coming to the scriptures right. and ask, "Who am I?" Before we yes. ask, "Who is God?" And so, to start reading the Bible, looking for the transcendent God in the text before we ask "Who am I?" questions, and like, there's a little microcosm of this principle in that famous story of Isaiah in chapter six, where mm-hmm. he beholds what a transcendent mm-hmm. vision of God, mm-hmm. and then he immediately has self awareness. He starts making "I am" statements about himself. Yeah. And what are they? I am a man of unclean lips. <laughs> yes. Of unclean lips. And so when he sees God, he understands himself rightly. Rightly. Yes. And then and then God says, This is who you are. Yes. Right? Like gives him the right I am statements. But what doesn't happen is in that scene, what we don't see is Isaiah sitting around having uh, you know, a 10 minute quiet time and thinking, mm-hmm. Oh, I am this or I am that. I better go find out who God is. No, for sure. And then even like he goes on and he's saying, okay, here I am, send me. And God tells him exactly what he should do. So it's interesting because it's almost like exactly what you're saying. Like 
Look at God. God will give you a better understanding of who you are in light of him. And then you'll understand what is it that I'm to do in light of who I am in Christ. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Praise the Lord that he gave you that insight, Jen. And thanks for sharing it with us. If we're wanting to grow in just our understanding of the text, grow in our understanding of what does it look like to approach the scriptures asking like, who is God versus like, what am I to do? Do you have any recommended resources? I'm going to throw out Women of the Word because it's the best resource that I know of in understanding how to do that. Do you have anything else that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason I wrote the books I did in the order that I did. I mean, in hindsight, I don't know that I had a, an evil plan. I was to do like, it. dang, girls. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think I'd ever write any books or that anyone would read the book that I wrote when I wrote the first one. So this whole thing is a little surprising to me. But, but I wrote those books based on my firsthand experience leading women in Bible study. Right. And, you know, you're right. These are obstacles to us when we come to the text. So Women of the Word is going to give you basic tools, right, to just be able to mine the text as a good student. But I did find was that, you know, when I say, hey, ask the better question around, you know, ask who is he before you ask who am I, is that we have an atrophied vocabulary around the things that are true about God. And we all do. And so we need to be better at understanding what each of those um, characteristics is so that we can identify it in the scriptures. And for me, the the starting point for that was I read A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, so great. I read it probably, you know, 15 years ago for the first time. It's like an annual read now, right? (laughs) So good. Well, so then I followed footnotes, right? And I found, and Arthur Pink has a a very short, it's called The Attributes of God. And it's actually available online. Like um, if you do, you can link to the online version of it. Nice. And then just recently, as I was working through the In His Image material, Mm -hmm. I found, I love Jerry Bridges. I just had not read this particular book, but he has a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. Yeah, it's good. Oh my gosh, so good. Mm -hmm. So I say those are three really good, not long reads, but good reads for helping you start to be able to put words around who God is and then follow through on the implications of those. For sure. But, I mean, I wrote None Like Him and In His Image to help people to develop a vocabulary around who God is. Right. You did a really great job. And if you want to uh, know more about what Jen's talking about, like following the footnotes and kind of discerning good material or good people to read from, you guys have a whole episode on that from uh, Knowing Faith, we correct? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. We'll link to it in the show notes. Well, one of my simple joys is absolutely studying the word and hearing your perspective on studying the word. But one of the questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show so that we can get to know you a little better are, what are three of your simple joys, Jen? Well, we've already hit on one. My pugs are consistently (laughs) simple joy. And I know it sounds stupid. Like I hear how crazy I sound. I can hear it. (laughs) Because I was not a dog person and I swore I would never, one of those I will never things that we say yes, was yes. never be a dog owner. And uh, my stepmom had a pug and and she bred her pug and that's how we ended up with the first two. And I'm like, and she just thinks it's hysterical because she heard all of my sassy things I said about right. dogs. And now I'm like, but they're babies, you know, and I'm cradling <laughs> them. And- like a bulldog type dog really is more like a person than a dog. Well, the, you know, the pug is like a hybrid between a cat and a dog because they <laughs> snore and the snoring yes. is very like purring and they just want to be on your lap. So they're more, emo- they're like emotionally available cats. They want to be on your lap <laughs> all the time. And then they and just look ridiculous. 
are ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so great. Okay, the pugs. What I'm, else? I'm talk. I can quit talking about it. It's fine. I can't. <laughs> and then I love writing implements. Ooh. Yeah, and I love fountain pens. Oh, that's so cool. You know how to write with like a fountain pen, like calligraphy style or something? No, I'm not a hand letterer, although I do have some vanity around my handwriting, which is not nice, but it is what it is at this point. And so like to write with a ballpoint pen is like this is a waste of my beautiful penmanship. There must be a higher <laughs> level of experience here. And uh, and I in college found these disposable fountain pens and kind of got hooked on them for taking notes. And oh, now crazy. All kinds of options, but I just, I like the feel and the weight and the way it drags on the paper. And so, yeah. That is truly a simple joy because I was just listening to another podcast and they were talking about how handwriting, even just handwriting is really kind of a lost art. And I love that. That's, uh, that truly is the essence of a simple joy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. You ready for my last one? Because it's super spiritually deep. Oh, yeah. I love Jenny's ice cream. Oh, you're talking to a lactose intolerant person. Oh, <laughs> they don't make anything dairy free, and I've tried so many times. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> but also, more for me. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, in the new heavens and the new earth, ice cream, Jenny's ice cream will be in existence. <laughs> yes. I love their ice cream. Do you have a favorite flavor? Well, you know, I'm in Texas where everybody eats bluebell. Blue like, you don't yes. like come out of the closet on Jenny's ice cream just with the, <laughs> someone you just met. Of course, I just said it on a podcast, so now everybody will know. But um, yeah, I like, gosh, what is my favorite? They have a darkest chocolate that is pretty, pretty mm. telling. Uh, and then the the peanut, uh, what is it? The peanut butter or the butter, but almond butter brickle. Ooh, that uh, sounds delicious. Anyway, it's really good. Oh. And they deliver it to your house. So Are you like, kidding me? Yeah. So, so like you can find it now, you know, there are some, some of the more specialty like grocery stores sure. will carry it. But so now like instead of sending flowers, I will send ice cream. Oh, that's a genius idea. No one doesn't want to receive ice cream except no. you, but like everybody else wants it. <laughs> I do want it to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I want can it bad. Take, can you take a little pill and then you can't have it? You know, I need to try that. It usually results in facial acne, so it's got to be oh, like oh, time oh. just right. Hey, you know who else is lactose intolerant? Is, is Kyle, it? my buddy on the podcast. Oh, really? Oh, send him my regards. The guy with toothpaste problems. Yeah, so, you know, the two of you can uh, commiserate. Oh, wow. Well, Jen, you have truly had an impact on my journey with Jesus. I know many of the listeners feel that same exact way, but I'd love to hear from you. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? Man, it's hard to narrow down, which is pretty, pretty great to be able to say that. Can I give you two? You can give me whatever you want. One who I know personally and one who I just know from afar. Absolutely. Uh, I, in terms of like my philosophy around how to teach the Bible mm-hmm. and even these these things around the attributes to uh, and, and just theology in general, R.C. Sproul had a massive on me. He modeled so beautifully, like you knew he was so mm. smart and that he could hold his own in a room full of theologians with PhDs mm-hmm. who use all of the $5 words. But he opened up I always, you know, he did not shut up the kingdom of heaven is the way I'll say it, that he, he let the average person into those conversations. He did not 
sustain that for them. He found ways to communicate deep truths in simple words. And and that's just a gift. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've wanted to emulate that because um, what a beautiful way to fulfill the Great Commission, like mm-hmm. teaching them he's commanded means being able to take those things to whoever becomes a believer and explain them in ways that they can take them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's my, my distance person. And then Jeff Wilkin, he's Aww. my up close person. That's he, awesome. uh, we, you know, I always joke, I'm like, people will go, will you come do a session on, on Christian marriage? And I'm like, you don't want to talk to me on that because I haven't, we have not pushed through hard things. We just like each other, you know, like we, I can't, we just happened to be so compatible and, um, and share, we shared a lot of similar interests and then developed, you know, additional ones the longer we were, but he is someone who you can imagine that I would need this. I'm a person who states my opinion very firmly. Uh, I, I'm articulate enough to intimidate a lot of people and he just is not scared of me. He can speak truth to me. He mm-hmm. can call me out on the things I need to be called out on. But he is a kind person and um, and a humble person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're making me cry on your podcast. Anyway, <laughs> oh. he models Christ-like humility to me. You mm. know, I just don't see a lot of places. And he will be, if he listens to this, he'll be so He's like, that's, I don't do that. I'm like, well, see there, you just did it again. So, <laughs> Has he really been influential, Jen, in you embracing the gifts that God has bestowed to you and in the way in which you administer those gifts to bless the body of Christ? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we there is a really toxic idea traveling around in more conservative theological circles that um, for a man to be the leader in his home, that other people in the home need to be less than he is. Right? And I would say we even see it in church leadership too. This, um, the strong lead, the weak mentality. Mm-hmm. Jeff has always marveled at that. He's like, I don't, I don't get that in the business world. A CEO does not look around the market and say, who do I know who is bad is not as good as I am at mm-hmm. things, And can I get them on my team? He's like, CEO says, who is better than I am at this, this, and this, because I have a need for that. And then he puts that person in place, and then he leverages their gifts for the good of the family or for the good of the organization. And so that that has been Jeff's, you know, he, he looked at the way the Lord had wired me, mm. and to him, it was something to celebrate and to support and to uh, deploy instead of, well, you know, that's my role or that's mm-hmm. something to be intimidated by or to diminish. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I would, you know, I hope I've done the same thing uh, with, with, with him that, um, that, uh, you know, we look to see the things, see and celebrate the things that the other person does, their unique contributions to our family or to ministry. And the funny thing about Jeff is he serves in, in kids village at the church, Yeah, he leads worship and teaches. And he is the most fun kid person you will ever meet. And so when we walk in the doors of the village, he is the one. He's I mean, famous. Kids are like, Mr. <laughs> Jeff, and they flip out. And I, 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 most people don't actually know that he's he's the one that is immediately recognizable around here. And it was so funny. We had lunch with um, a family this past weekend, and, and the woman who is a woman on my leadership team, and she has uh, kids who are in Kids Village, and she texted me before we got there, and she said, my daughter is 
losing her mind that Mr. Jeff is coming over to our house today. And it was just the cutest thing. That is so wonderful. Well, Jen, it has been a joy to get to hear from you today. I am so thankful for the way in which you have um, invested in the global body of Christ. Um, It's just been a huge blessing to me, and it's a joy to have gotten to hear from you on the Journey Women podcast today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for the conversation. Guys, I genuinely hope this conversation encourages you to press into the word and to seek to embody and live out who God wants us to be as followers of Jesus. Don't worry, if you missed anything, you can find the noteworthy quotes and resources from this episode on journeywomenpodcast.com. One of my assistants, Randy, said that she actually had a hard time not typing down every word, so I'm pretty sure that you'll find what you need over there. You can also hop over to social media to continue the topic of seeking God's will throughout the week on Instagram and Facebook at Journey Women Podcast. Chris Mann of Podshaper edited this week's episode. He does such a great job, and I am so grateful. Hey, it's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. It's